0: Hello and welcome to the AEW
1: Dynamite review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0. Oh! oh. Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a really good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamphlet and Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite. Um, I don't really know how to start this one, if I'm Yeah, honest.
2: me too. I don't know how to talk about it. Um, Look, it's one of those where I don't want to develop parasocial relationships with wrestlers. They're not your friends, but they all had an extremely challenging time at work. It feels like. Just the wrong time and place to say that, you know, I couldn't tell if elements of this show were made or if even a great show would have seemed completely irrelevant in terms of the very real struggle and triumph that that main event was and it cast a shadow over everything else Mm. or if I would have enjoyed what was presented to me if it was on any other Wednesday or what. But ultimately the pro wrestling show, which was kind of immaterial in itself, but also everything as well. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, I, I didn't want to was, say
1: I didn't care about this show. But it was everything. Yeah.
2: That's, you know, um, look, they got the one thing that everyone watched it for absolutely perfect, and that's,
3: I think, all that matters. Yeah, can't really add too much to that. It's uh, It sounds crass to plug that I did the ups and downs, as we normally would when we do in the podcast. I would really like people to read that because I feel like when you write, and I don't know if you agree, so sometimes it's, not easier, but you can take a bit of time to consider and articulate your thoughts more. Yeah, on these you can more, Yeah, like these more like complex shows to try and pass, basically. But the one thing I kind of kept going back to was that every single wrestler that came through the curtain either knew uh, Jay Briscoe on a personal or professional level or knew and loved somebody that did. Or immensely respected him. Yeah. As I think everyone did there as is, a professional. There is, there is nobody that doesn't fall into that category. And this obviously subsequently would have felt that same support for Mark Briscoe that we all did, but closer. Mm. Um, so it just, I found it quite easy, if nothing else, to like, I don't know, receive the whole show with like, immense gratitude and just completely unfiltered respect. And there the were things that I really liked from a narrative point of view, because this wasn't a stop everything and do a tribute show. This was kind of a bit of both. Yeah. And... There were things that I really enjoyed, that like I look forward to talking with these about on the podcast as I would normally. Things that I didn't get a buzz from, I almost didn't care about. Mm. It, was, it was ambivalence rather than any kind of criticism because I was kind of thinking of the performers in their real lives rather than the like, rather than what they were portraying in the fiction for the night. So no, like, it's not that everything gets a pass. It's just that it just didn't feel particularly like a night to disagree with anything happening, you know, like they're just that everyone's out there doing their best, and it's just, I liked some of the best, and I wasn't so keen on some of the other best.
1: Yeah, a lot of the stuff that I, you know, wasn't uh, super over on, Mm. I was just like, right, we'll just get this over and done with, so we can get to the the Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal match, which was everything we wanted and more.
3: I normally use that wrestling just happening in front of me as a criticism, here it was like almost like a passive shared experience with the wrestlers themselves, yeah, yeah,
1: uh, but we'll we'll talk about the rest of the of this show uh, eventually, leading of course to to my Mark Briscoe versus Jay Lethal, which was just sensational. It, obviously, despite the fact it was tinged with everything, and my God, the video package and you know the looks on everyone's faces, the looks on the, every wrestler's face at the end of the show. Jay Lethal and uh, Sanjay Dutt walking out there. Obviously, Mark Briscoe. Mark Briscoe holding both titles. But the fact it would have been Jay's 39th birthday. All of this, you know, I'm astonished that they they got through this. Isn't it a, a credit to them and uh, a credit to Jay's memory, of course? Uh, but we'll talk about the rest of the show first, and then and then get to the most important part at the end. Uh, so we got Ricky Starks in and action, Andretti versus. Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, better known as the Sex Gods, of course, to to open the show. And this was this was a load of fun, wasn't it? It was a, a, a reminder of what the Sex Gods can do. Sage.
2: the Sex Gods, right? The trend on Twitter, and we take the piss out of it. Uh, of we take the piss out of this trend. All of the goddamn time is that in order to farm engagement and grab likes, people will just say everything is goated or underrated. Or do you remember this moment? It's iconic. <laughs> of course, I do. It's yeah, like, it's burned into my goddamn memory. Triple H
3: faced off with of Gunther. Coded. yeah.
2: Monday, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. And so I always apprehensive about describing something in similar ways because I don't ever want to be conflated with those just transparent hacks. The sex gods are low key coated. <laughs> <laughs> they are an infrequent tag team. Um, I don't. Have they ever had a title shot? It's
1: a very good don't question. So. If don't they have, so. it
2: was they're the. Best tag team who on a permanent tag team who've never really had an iconic great match. In fact, great matches, but not like an iconic moment. And yet, this tag team are so good at putting matches together where they are so dynamic and exciting. But everything gets sold. Mm. Um, everything matters. There's no wasted spots where they're just trying to get their stuff in. It's just this effervescent, dramatic, incredibly entertaining spectacle built for North American TV wrestling. And they put on this kind of show every single time. This was yet another match. And uh they'll never get the respect as a great tag team because they don't have the longevity, the consistency, the profile, um, or whatever. But they're one of my favorite tag teams in the modern era. Genuinely, right. I just every single time I watch one of their matches from a structural point of view, entertainment value, drama, because they always work matches when Jericho can always feasibly lose. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and that rarely happens because he's Chris Jericho. Um, near a perfect tag team, this is a really entertaining match with some just loving attention to how to just do some awesome spots without really feeling like a spot first because you got the drama and the selling right. Um A perfect way to start the show, which is a particular achievement under the circumstances, and I'm not saying there was never a good time to run that just absolutely beautiful Jay Briscoe video package, but I think from that moment on, Mm. I couldn't really get into it because it just reminded me that the enormity was just so much more um, profound than a weird, not insensitive, but weird, Canon, non-canon hybrid. Half tribute, half mm, yeah. not. Um, but this opener. Electrifying. Um, Action Andretti was the discourse again on Twitter. A lot of people just thought he was doing a sub Will Ospreay. I didn't like his main event on Rampage, but I think to say, I oh, he's just doing a Will Ospreay impression, or he's very inspired by Will Ospreay, or he's just doing his spots, that's the character at this moment in time. And... It works for him because what else is he going to do except like study tape of his favorite wrestlers? That's where he's at in his career. Um, but no, the sex gods are great. And again, I'm once again Bernie Sanders meme <laughs> campaigning to manifest
1: the sex gods versus the acclaimed, a the revolution. It the worked, they did have a title shot uh, back in 2019 SCU. Oh, SCU, uh, of course. And then subsequently, the Scorpio Sky yeah, yeah. just after Jericho had won the world title, basically.
3: The sex gods are the. Comedy Heart Foundation and the Workrate Graveyard Dogs all rolled into one. They're a special occasion team, but with this fantastic and obvious tag dynamic that like just works. is
2: such an amazing tag team wrestler. Seemingly without
3: flaws as a tag wrestler. Isn't he it? came like, up yeah.
2: with Landstorm, obviously, mm. as part of the Thrill Seekers. This is how he was came into the business, or at least made his reputation in the business. And look, Jim Cornette's Jim Cornette. The best of Smoky Mountain is pretty great. If you ever go back and watch it, if you can try and park your feelings on Jim Cornette's side. um, and Jim Cornette knew how to put a tag team match together. Obviously, he managed one of the great tag teams. He was an integral part of one of I the old several fans. of them, I guess. Didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he was an integral part of one of the famous tag team feuds ever. So he knows how to put a tag match together. He knows how to put a finish together. Mm. You watch the referee in those Smoky Mountain finishes. It's unbelievable stuff. And Jericho channels that and modernizes it, and it's always
3: great. It's, um... I, I love this. Like, I didn't expect to, and I, so, like, this exceeded my expectations. And the rope walk cutter. that's awesome. rope walk cutter was great. Um, Ricky Stark's hitting the Rochambeau on the floor of Chris Jericho to basically tell you, in a fair fight, this is a piece of piss. I've got this, like, I can absolutely destroy this man. And all of a sudden, all these matches to build matches and pointless little in-fight tag team things look like they have a purpose because it's Chris Jericho trying to build barriers up to having to have that singles match because look how easy it is for Ricky Starks to beat him. I am once again asking people Bernie Sanders meme and this is not to Sidgwick, this is to apparently everybody but me to stop trying to manifest the sex gods versus the acclaimed. Stop it. Chris, no. Jer- Chris Jericho will kill your favourite act, like he killed your last six favourite acts. <laughs> like, I want the Les Gods to win the tag titles after the Acclaimed have lost them to somebody else who I like more. Like, I love the Acclaimed, and he will he will do what he always... He's a uh, Chris Jericho, but he's a succubus. He is. He's a heat succubus in this company. He sees things, he gloms onto them, and he <laughs> make... Oh, yeah, makes them worse than they were before. Like, makes them worse than they were before, and he will do that with the Acclaimed if the guns aren't doing that already, and that tag team, Lessex Gods... At the moment, a preserving amber, and people would think less of them when, they, when you suddenly find yourself thinking less of the acclaimed. This can happen. It should happen later. It should happen long after the acclaimed are finished. Trade offer. Yeah. Hit me with it.
2: I get the sex gods versus the acclaimed at Revolution. Yes. You get Max Caster ripping the absolute piss out of Chris Jericho via
3: several raps. And the catharsis elicited from that quite good, but Max Caster probably uh, mm. would agree with Chris Jericho about everything.
1: Yeah, January sixth probably <laughs> has the same significance for yes. both of them, is what you're saying. Oh God, who knows what he thinks? He, uh, he's he uh, think he's,
3: he's, he's our hour, isn't it? Like, the, but yeah, like I get it. I, I completely understand the manifestation. I kind of approach that specific element of it with caution.
1: Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm intrigued to know your thoughts. Like you say, it's a weird show. This. Because I see it simultaneously just happened in front of me, but I also thought, I wonder what Siege and Hamlet are going to say about this, this, and this. The acclaim segment's one of them. We'll get to it in due course. Uh, Let's—I'll run you through some of the stuff that happened in the match. Uh, obviously, the one of the best bits was that uh, rope walk that uh, Starks was doing on Jericho, and then got hit by a cutter from uh, Sammy Guevara. I did like the bit earlier on in the match where Andretti and Guevara start off, and they're great high flyers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there's a bit where Andretti dives out of the rain to take Garcia out of it, who's come out with his mentor and Chris Jericho. And uh, he flattens Garcia, turns around and gets flat, and he gets flattened by a Guevara dive. And Garcia, still selling the attack from Andretti, laid out on the ropes like, Great work, Sammy.
2: <laughs> Taking it all from John Silver's playbook.
1: Yeah. Remember yeah. Uh, Mr. Brody
2: Lee versus Orange Cassidy? When he's just basically right, I'm going to just flatten all of you because it means I get Cassidy as well.
1: And I don't care about you. You're my (laughs) cheerleader. (laughs) Yeah. And then, well done, boss. Um, so we've got a cutter, and then uh, Starks hits a swinging DDT on Guevara later on, and Andre hits a springboard moonsault for a near fall. Andre and Guevara hit a double crossbody collide on that. That brings Jericho and Starks back in. Starks gets a spear and a near fall. Jericho tries for a code breaker, but Starks just holds him in place and counters into a Liger bomb. Uh, Andretti tries for that split legged moonsault, but Jericho gets his knees up. Guevara comes in, can't get the GTH, GTH eats the uh, Inseguri. Jericho runs distraction. Andretti hits a poison runner and a hanging neck breaker for a near fall. But then, as, uh, as Hamlet mentioned, Starks hits the Roshan boat on the uh, floor on Jericho. Guevara goes for another springboard cutter, misses. Garcia just twats Andretti with the baseball bat, whilst Aubrey's attention's taken away from it. And Guevara hits the GTH and gets the one,
3: two, three. So I don't know if it was just because I was in a good mood with the quality of this match, but I've kind of made friends with this story as a result of this episode of Dynamite because um, one of my favourite Tony Khan booking quirks is when he uh, hides the real story within the existing story It's not always perfect because he kind of sometimes forgets it. We love luxurious and other details, and then some of those details fall away, and you think, oh, you were getting this thing, and then you don't get that thing. That happened last year with Daniel Garcia, when for whatever reason he was just lifted out the story and replaced with Sammy Guevara. That now feels like it's coming back around again because for them to come out, all looking the same, and then reveal, hey, we're best friends in our red trousers, and Garcia's their uh, spare-pricking uh, wedding in his black ones. Yeah. And then he's the difference maker at the end. Feels like it's bringing that back in. Like, this is not a Jericho, Ricky Starks thing. This is a Daniel Garcia's had enough of being overlooked thing. And this felt like those two details, the match, the clapping, the, uh, like, I, you need me, I'm a human shield. Oh, and also, you wouldn't have won without me. Feels like they're actually getting that back on track. Mm. More so than the, like, the little look in the backstage promo. Oh, no. Sonny's very good mentor, and I've illustrated that with my face. This was far more, like, this felt like it had loads more direction about us eventually getting there. Just let it play out. Yeah. Uh,
1: then we got that sensational video, which yeah. if you haven't seen, for whatever reason, uh, it's everywhere, of course, all over social media. Um, and, uh, yeah, watch it when you're ready. Yeah, but you is. have to prepare yourself emotionally
2: for it because it's,
1: it's devastating and beautiful, and in equal measure and very intense. Andy, I thought nailed it on the news this morning because he said it's it's not just about you know yes Jay Briscoe was a sensational wrestler and far 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 underrated from from what he was capable of at the time and it's such a shame that it's taken this for people to acknowledge that fact but it was the double whammy I found of of not just him you know wrestling with his brother or holding up titles or getting the plaudits that he deserved but the moments with his family and you and everyone knows obviously how close that entire family group is. And uh, yeah, it just uh, the daughters haven't had a chance to grieve. Yeah, that's uh, it's horrible. Um, and again, just to reiterate, if you uh, if you have the cash, obviously I know it's a tough time for everyone at the moment. Uh, there are uh, you can either donate uh, that fundraiser. There's links to it on, on WhatCulture.com, um, but also there's a, a t-shirt if you want to show your support. Uh, where all the proceeds uh, go to to the Pew, Pew family. So please. Uh, give what you can, support as much as you can, because, yeah, no one deserves to go through anything like this. And it was, yeah, it was a weird thing for uh, for AW to then have to try and be like, right, well, and we've got the Mark Briscoe, Jay Lethal match later, but now we have to get back into the storylines. Yeah, So the, the lights go out, and then it's the House of Black stuff, because, of course, Buddy Matthews is challenging Darby Allin for the TNT title. Buddy Matthews coming out with half of his face painted as well, and Julia Hart runs distraction to allow uh, Matthews to take over early on and just take out Darby Allen with back suplexes on the edge of the apron. Of course, Darby Allen was selling injuries from the Great Muta match, of course, that he was involved in, and uh, Matthews targeted that throughout the match, um, sweeping the ring apron out from under him and yeah, really causing him some issues there, um, and that led to a nasty-looking meteora from the top rope onto the Apron, the edge of the apron, the hardest part of the ring, in the words of Simon Miller, of course. Um, and uh, Alan has to fight back with an over-the-top stunner and a coffin drop to the outside. Then the lights go out. When they come back on, there's Brody King and Malachi Black on the ramp, uh, staring down Sting. But who should come out and help? But Ortiz uh, with a shot with a kendo stick, and they brawl off to the Dude. back. <laughs> Just doing what Justin Roberts does. Uh, Darby Allen. <laughs> Bites off an electric chair into a poison rana. Uh, Alan hits a crucifix bomb. Both men get to their feet, and uh, Matthews blocks a code red into a backslide. Pump, uh, pump, knee, buckle bomb, and a curb stomp. Oh, who's talking that? Uh, for a two count. Darby Allen gets cut off in the ropes. Uh, buddy Matthews uh, goes for a superplex, but Darby Allen counters it with another top rope scorpion death drop like he did with the Deuce Robinson match on Rampage. Uh, and as Matthews is just hung up in the ropes, uh, Darby Allen hits a coffin drop. For the one, two, three post-match, we try and get a word from Darby Allen, uh, but of course, before he can say anything, Samoa Joe pops up on the screen. He's coming to take everything from Allen. He's coming to take back what is rightfully his. Allen winning that title is the big, biggest mistake of of his career. The King of Television has spoken.
2: Uh, this is going to sound hard, harsh on Buddy Matthews, right? On a night when again, everyone's had a really hard time. And I actually mean this as a compliment because I love it, but he's kind of Aldi Cherry Coke. You know, (laughs) when I was younger, the cheap cola substitutes were just rank. Yeah. And I was put off them for life. They were barely
3: substitutes, were they, when we were kids? Yeah.
2: And I was put off for life, and I just thought, well, you just can't imitate the real thing. And I just disregarded them forever. And then Aldi opened where I live. For those who don't know, it's like the budget
3: supermarket. Mm. And I thought, you know what? The Newcastle-Sunderland bus goes right past that, Aldi. Yeah. And I always think to myself, I wonder where it's is now. Hey,
2: I'm in there. <laughs> um, and Aldi Cherry Coke, it's not the same. It's bloody good, mm. right? And that is, he's the Aldi <laughs> Cherry Coke, the Coca-Cola Cherry, <laughs> Kenny Omega. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it's, not quite, it's not Kenny Omega, but God damn it, he's blistering, his yeah. physical timing's great, everything he does looks like pure death. He's pretty goddamn good at this buddy uh, this wrestling thing is Buddy Murphy. He's I think he might be too bulky. He's gone the Andrade route mm. where he's just packed on so much muscle that I think he's lost a bit of dynamism and that ability to just sprint and just melt your brain a little bit. And this match was really 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 good but I think a lot of people were like, well, if Buddy Matthews is going to prove himself to be great, here it is. I didn't quite get that. I had a nice old time, or as much as I could have, under the circumstances, yeah. but it didn't feel like, right, I want to see more of him in singles action. I just didn't get that from it. There were some nice ideas here. Some of it looked really hard hitting, but I was expecting just this absolutely deranged sprint of a match, and I don't think with that physique he's carrying around these days that he's capable of it, and if he's not a massive, charismatic TV wrestling superstar, you might want to lean out, stick to what you're good at sort of thing because he's trying to carry the visual of I'm a massive, figuratively and physically megastar on TV. That's not what he is, I don't think. Um, It's not like a terrible promo, but he just doesn't have that intangible superstar quality. So yeah i'm looking to him to lean out and just be the banger merchant cuz this wasn't quite and i know that word's overplayed but this wasn't
3: quite a top tier tv banger for me i was a lot higher on this match than said i think i uh, it's Darby Allen thing when I hate how much I love that man (laughs) because I just cannot get enough of him at the moment. They hit you when he walked out. They hit you really hard with this detail of the fact that like he's there wasn't too much heat to this. There wasn't a lot of heat no, Um, which I put down to the the vibe of the night. But the so he's walking out the ring and the commentators are hitting you. They show you the clips from Japan and they're hitting you pretty hard with the fact that like he's defending all the time and he's been in Japan. Even Darby Allen suffers wear and tear. They're hitting you really hard with that and then. Buddy Matthews hits him really harder with his first strike when the bell rings. <laughs> like, and I thought that like they just maybe it's like the WWE fan in me was like really enjoying getting big ladles full, spoon fed to me, right? But like Darby Allen is amazing, obviously, at getting the shit beaten out of him. And there were elements of this match where Buddy Matthews was fantastic at delivering it. That section where like one Apron bump wasn't enough. And then it was like, have another, have another. Now I'm gonna swing you into the guardrail. Bang! But that was like a combo of the most brutal things you can do. Like one of like Kevin Owens' apron power bomb is normally somebody's down and getting stretchered. And Buddy Matthews, is like, Darby Allen needs six of these so I'll give him them. <laughs> like I, I just absolutely love the momentum with which he just relentlessly attacked Darby Allen, knowing what the threat of Darby Allen is. Nobody can break this guy, but I've got to try. That's my strategy, and I'll do it. And I just totally bought into that. And Darby Allen's comeback. Um, what's the point I was going to make oh no so like before the before the comeback the, um, the buckle bomb spot I chose to see a bit of LTST and lore in this buckle bombing at the curb stomp Buddy Matthews cannot shake off the comparisons to Kenny Omega because he loves thin his offence who else has that problem Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins Seth Rollins Seth Rollins and Buddy Matthews when they're in the same company were both compared to Kenny Omega who we desperately want to pick up some breadcrumbs for the elite in the house of black finding a to fight so I chose to see that as actually quite a nice detail think about him think about them think about him Get back to Kenny Omega. Get back to the elite, and I will just maybe not. Maybe I'm just reaching there, but I, I quite like those specific moves threaded to together for that. Darby Allen's comeback, though it did lack heat, I was willing to put down to the um, to the the vibe of the night because the finish I think was a bit was inaudible. I think that top rope death drop should have been the finish, and to go back to the coffin drop. Felt it's like annoying was, that they squandered that so early. Well, I think that that was an error I think that was a mistake I don't know because what it looked incredible the first time he's dusted that off and that was it it was like the size of Matthews and the threat that he offers this kind of like hybrid threat was needed something like that to nullify yeah. him and then when what felt like a botch it was like well cough and drop it is then never get that back and I felt a little bit sad for them because I thought that was the point it was like wow like this is what you need to put away buddy Matthews Smojo's promo was fantastic like I've missed the one true king of television and I've missed watching that specific match play out. Like, let's have another go at that.
2: I will let it play out, okay? But if this is... Let's give Derby... Tony Khan does sprint title reigns, where if they're not going to be lengthy, the champion will defend it every week. Um, Like a speed run to acclaim and prestige. And I think it's a great idea. And his body's breaking down now too. So you're building
3: in the excuses for the loss, aren't you?
2: Exactly. So I think it's a, a really good different approach to the title reign philosophy, which is it's either longevity and it means something when they lose, or they're so consistent that you try and speed run to the same conclusion. So I'm going to let it play out because I don't even know if this is going to happen. But if this is all a big sort of elaborate plan to get the title back onto Wardlow and start again after Joe beats Derby, what you've done is you've booked two superior TNT champions to Wardlow, mm. who's barely booked as TNT champion, as a means to get the TNT title back onto Wardlow. What are you thinking? He's going to feel like the bronze medalist of the TNT title picture. And if you th- like, again, I'll reiterate that. The bronze medalist of the TNT title picture for a guy who, this time, literally last year, yeah. everyone was like, future world champion. that. Designation that we projected onto Wardlow feels miles away at this point, but I might not be getting the story correct.
3: Well, I hadn't thought about Wardlow, I had a totally different direction for this story, right? Darby Allen selling injuries is them basically admitting that he's human in a way that they've ha- always been able to steer away from because look at what happens to him, and yet he, and yet he survives, and yet he like, often wins, like, despite what you see happen to him. My thinking on this story was all of this started with Sting going to Darby Allen enough. Like, just go out there and win. Just go and win that belt. Be your best self and win that belt, right? Darby Allen's body is breaking down. We know this. Sting knows this. Darby's trying to know sell it, but it's happening. I think Darby Allen, let's say for example, skateboards over his house and then loses the TNT title in the next show. And Sting is like that like Your body's been breaking down and you're doing this. Your head is not in the game. This started with me telling you to get your head in the game. Like, I'm not here to give you sympathy. I'm here to give you support. You're not helping yourself. And that like creates that like first divide between them. Stings, deals potentially up this year. And there's been all- Stop
1: playing Tony Hawk's pro skater. Play
3: AW Fight Forever. Game plug. Corporate synergy, like, but seriously, <laughs> like, is. people have manifested that Darby Allen Sting matches maybe Sting's retirement match. Yeah. That doesn't need to be a heel turn. Sting himself has said that uh, he's not doing singles. Ah, he said Darby's part of the road map. Okay, well, well he's yeah. a wrestler,
2: so he could be lying. <laughs>
3: yeah. But yeah. like, I sort of could imagine like Darby. Darby wants to no sell it, and it's like Sting's like, look, I can accept getting injured in a wrestling match, but not doing your weekend hijinks. Like, get serious. I
1: realise we're getting. Six months down, or not even, not really, so six months, revolution, basically. We're getting quite way way down the line here. I was going to ask you, actually, do you think it was deliberate that they did this, Derby to Samoa Joe, because I think you might be right that they might be holding it back on Joe, and if it's not Wardlow, do you think there was any significance in them immediately airing Adam an Adam Cole, Cole package where he went... Oh, I wonder how I'm going to be back again, looks at revolution sign.
3: Michael Sidgwick, the only man on earth that remembers Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe from Double Nothing and has to keep reminding people yeah. that match sucked ass and we've got to stop fantasy booking well, it. They trying well, to fix it? I don't know. Well, the dynamic has
2: changed massively. Yes. Somehow, and this might be one of his greatest achievements because I thought Joe was washed, yeah. right? For years he's been washed. So much so that, if you remember, I campaigned for him not to be in that company. I was wrong and I'm happy to be wrong. Joe was the face and Cole was the heel. And it just, neither man felt hot. Now you've got some more Joe, killer aura, re-established, Adam Cole, please win. You're the nicest guy and we've missed you a lot. The dynamic of that pairing has changed considerably
3: since um, double or nothing last year. So I might be more into it this time around. Imagine if it becomes a legacy feud and they wrestle over here and then we can like do a headline that says like Joe Cole at Craven Cottage. I get the football clicks off the Pessi the, the Pinaldo crew. one. He's <coughs> that guy that breaks the stories? Fabrizio Romano. Yeah. We can work him. <laughs> Joe Cole outs for Fulham.
2: What? I think he's a bit smarter than that. No, I think he's the, the actual. I've seen the replies. It's weirdest thing I went off football for quite some time. And then with like the international football tournaments and my son getting into it, that's yeah. when I got back into football a lot. And I just missed the rise
3: of Fabrizio. <laughs> and now, like yeah, we, we left, and he was that like old fella on Sky, that Jim White. Is Jim it? White. That was like Jim White's season is over now. It's Fabrizio Romano. He's like Twitter. Bob Backlund now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I used to I was, like,
2: Sky Sports News, the yellow ticket tape. They always like they were quite often first and like on top of things. And now it's like oh, I was reported by Fabrizio.
3: Get me a journalist outside the ground with a fan holding the dildo in the face. <laughs> That's when I know a player signed. Yeah. I Ports poos. <laughs> uh,
2: it was. It was time. Like, years ago now, tw- I think it was 2013 or something, when they tried, because they have to make a saga and a thing, the final transfer window day was, is Peter Wingy going to QPR? Oh, that <gasps> was He drove, drove up. He's like, well, we've jumped the shark. In spectacular fashion.
3: Yeah,
2: I was like, is Wingy going to do it? He's driving there himself. He's like, no, he can't. That's how it works, pal. <laughs> Deal done. Career finished. <laughs> Oh, they wingy. <laughs> Jim White's yellow tie was goaded, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
1: do you remember when they used to do it? Actually, the, I think for me when they jumped the shot, you're right, was when they used to, like, it's, the, for people who don't know, it's, it's like the draft, I suppose, for the, the basketball fans or football, American football fans. It's really, transfer deadline day, maybe less so nowadays, certainly January isn't as big, but it used to be big. Like, anything could happen. Like when, um Rabinho signed for City. That was a big like. What the? Because it was a takeover yeah. and the record yeah. signings and the same. So also day. last minute, and I fairly certainly thought he was signed for someone else. But still, doesn't matter. You signed for Manchester, yeah. We know. We don't know which Manchester. So we don't need to say the second half <laughs> of the name because I'll just sign it. Ah, oh, why is it blue? Why's it blue? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why's it blue? But they used to do that, and it was just you know people. Would, it, it got to a point where people on Twitter would be like, "I've just seen." Uh, Ronaldinho at Stoke train station or whatever. But I think the moment that they jumped the shark is when they stopped just being like, here's some bonkers transfer uh, theories. When they used to be like, well, we're checking Jim, Jim White's movements. He's on his way in because he always used to do the overnight <laughs> bit. T minus 10 minutes till Jim White comes in the studio. It's that's like, just the, a presenter.
2: That's when the window hots up. In reality, when it gets to like 8 p.m., you're like, well, none of these deals that are getting tossed around, they're not really going to come to fruition because yeah. the, there's no time for the paperwork. Oh, it's, it's 10 to 5. Some, it's 10 to, t- uh, 10 to 11. You know, sometimes sometimes we hear at half past that the annou- they did it just in time, but we don't get the announcement. Ah, yeah, low move to Yeovil. It did happen.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it did happen. It's, the January transfer window was so uneventful that they actually were referring to the literal one Harry Redknapp was winding down when he was being doorstepped in his car. Like... You, uh, what are you doing today, Harry? Well, I don't manage anyone anymore, so nothing. <laughs> Let me take a wild
1: guess. I'm going to say mm, Nico Cranshaw.
3: Probably. <laughs> I'm playing golf.
1: <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, returning to what? I'll, transfer updates are you checking I'll on? I'll tell you after.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well?
1: a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash WhatCulture today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot com slash WhatCulture. Returning to AW Dynamite. That's what we're here to talk about, of course. Uh, it was time. Ah. Uh, that's why Sid was trying to put it off what we were doing next. Time for Ethan Page and Matt Hardy versus Jungle Hook. And uh, the Hardy Boys music hits. And then out comes Ethan Page and Stokely. Like, turn this crap off? It's a real crazy cottage. You're playing the wrong music. Ethan Page is the star of this show. And uh, Stokely's like, yeah, he's the star, isn't he, Isaiah? And Isaiah's like, hell no. And they're like, huh? Hell no. And he's like... Put my chain on, dead ass, and Paige's music hits. And, sorry, you two faces. Yeah. Sorry, I'm
3: just remembering how when Jay Uso stopped the Simone spike and I gasped. Like, imagine the moment, like, hell no. <gasps> he did that. It's, just, it's, it's the opposite, isn't it? it's, yeah, it's opposite. Good, it's opposite.
1: So, uh, yeah, get in the ring. <laughs> um, Perry, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, that is, Hurricane Rana's Paige, uh, who's... There's a four-man, and Page just bins off Hardy, basically. Uh, Pye faces Hook, bails on his partner so he can get beat up again. Um, but they eventually take over to The Firm. Uh, Jungle Boy gets isolated during the break. Eventually, though, Hook makes the hot tag. Uh, overhead throw to, to uh, I was going to say Hangman Page there, Ethan Page. Um, Hardy comes in, hits Jungle Boy Jack Perry with a side effect, goes for the twist of fate, but Ethan Page is like, no, no, no. I want to do it. Goes for it. Gets reversed into uh, Jack Perry's snare trap. Hardy's sort of half-assed reaching for the tag, um, but Hook pulls him off the apron, and Ethan Page submits. I
2: can barely remember this. To be perfectly honest, this was the epitome of wrestling happening in front of me, in which I have zero emotional investment. Um, I don't think that this is worthy, like remotely of AEW television, and uh, I do not care for it. And I wish they wouldn't confuse the Pavlovian response of people who are quite enjoying going to a wrestling show and saying, delete, 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 with all right, people, he's over. Is he? Like, even if he is and he's nice, and people have this sentimental, nostalgic attachment to Matt Hardy, like, it's just not working for me. And a little bit of noise... I say a lot that the noise level in a building um, matters loads. It's the entire purpose. That's what all of these wrestlers are trying to work towards. Make them go banana, in the words of Pat (laughs) Patterson, okay? I would say 98% of the time that's true. And wrestlers are told, or the modern wrestlers are told, that, you know what, don't listen to the online fans. Don't listen to the online fans. It's the people in the building that you have to listen to. That's who you're working for. I'm not necessarily convinced that that's true because if you go to a wrestling show, you might get pissed up, have a few beers, and might ironically cheer someone I'm not that into. And that mm. could be interpreted as true actual support. You go there to have a good time. You get yourself in the mood to have a good time. I've been to WWE shows where I've cheered and went along with stuff that I've seen that on television I couldn't be arsed with mm. because I'm there to have a good time. It's a more flattering crowd response. If you send that arena ape. Going ape with exhilaration. Yes, obviously, that means the world. That's everything. A few performative delete, delete, delete. There's nothing in that for me. Absolutely nothing in that for me. And think about
3: what you're not using instead of that on TV. That's the point I want it to hit. It's all subjective, obviously, but I think we <laughs> the- I feel harsh on this podcast, particularly, but. We in this room agree, and I sense that other people do too, that this is not just, like, it's a bad storyline, and it's probably, you know, it's one of AEW's weakest, but worse is that it simply doesn't warrant this specific time on Dynamite. Like, this is a weak story, so you've got time on Elevation and Dark to tell that story, and then when you feel like it's stronger, promote it to Rampage, and then if you feel it's strong enough still, on it goes to Dynamite to jump the queue. That's where it feels the most egregious. Rather than it just being a, a bad story on its own terms, it's about the fact that this TV time we know to be so valuable, yeah. and it's being chewed up with this. I have nothing to add or say on the match, other than um, my mind wandered during this because of the action and because of the night, but because of the action as well. And I was thinking to myself how much I missed the rankings because this has so little purpose and so little like the stakes, just narrative drive, and yet it would have done. Had, there were still rankings because Jungle Hooker started getting up and running and, like, there'd be two wins in and you'd be at the first point where you could start. Like, you still can. Like, there's invisible rankings now, but the, the visible ones were better. And there's like, selectively yeah. convenient rankings. Yeah, they said that the
1: Brian Cage match, didn't they? They said if he beats Danielson because of his win-loss record this year, he's number one contender. Yeah. yeah.
3: But, again, like, it, it was better when it was out there. <laughs> and, like, at this point, you would be watching this thinking, well, if absolutely nothing else, because that's what we're dealing with, nothing else if absolutely nothing else it's jungle hooks rise up the ranks and that would have been a nice thing to tack onto this and for that matter anything and it just really made me miss them I'd, I'd like I honestly would love them to just U-turn on that there's no shame in it like bring that back that was such an excellent foundational tool that I think, I I think he it. got rid of in a panic when he was losing control of his roster he's evidently got control of that said, roster back, bring them back. This,
1: I said this at the time when people were like, well, you can't do this because if it's not for the letter of law, the rankings, then it's st- what does it mean? I was like, well, no, 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 because MMA uses rankings, but they also go, uh, George saint Pierre's coming back, so he can kind of jump in the queue. Everyone
2: had latitude towards yeah, the rankings, yeah. I feel, because it was such a good idea. Yeah, that it's because they existed. Because they exist, and I feel like I think everyone in good faith realised, right, okay, New wrestlers can come in who you kind of want to give a title shot straight away, Brian Danielson. Mm. Do you waste his debut by, all right, I said, f- five matches on dark for he gets to Omega. Yeah, there has to be latitude for this thing to work, but I think everyone in good faith, everyone who was reasonable, grasped this and realized, right, it's flawed, but it's still really cool. Necessary, even. Um, so, yeah, I miss the rankings.
1: I, like I said, felt mostly detached throughout this show, aside from the obvious Main event. um I felt a bit guilty when this. I, I knew we were all going to just be like, "Meh," to the whole thing. I felt even worse, not only with the whole them doing the whole thing with Isaiah cassidy and me going, I "Don't care,"
3: yeah,
1: uh, but also when they lost, I was like, "Oh, good, right? Turn on Matt Hardy and beat the crap out of him because he's cost them this match because he didn't even get up to try and break up the snare trap, let alone getting yanked off the apron." When they immediately then moved on to something else, I was like oh, so it's still going to keep going this? We're yeah. still going to do more stuff on this on Rampage, and all. we'll really have it out next week on Dynamite. Well.
3: Ethan
2: Page versus Matt Hardy on a pay-per-view with an hour-long Iron Man
3: match on it. Like, what are we doing? Uh, yeah. It's buying at best, and it's not really buying, is it? It's got It's had too much time.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, right, then it was time for family therapy. The acclaimed daddy-ass, the guns are there with this therapist who we'll circle back to in a minute, uh, Michael Hamflat. A bit of a surprise. Um... Mm-hmm. Austin and Colton say uh, they and it's not what you think for once. Uh, Austin and Colton say that they always came second to their father. His career always came first. Uh, Castro and Bones talk about them being jealous of their relationship with daddy ass. Uh, they can't do what they do. Um, Austin talks about pushing bones in his wheelchair when he was injured and then getting hit with the crutch uh, when they'd all healed up. Um, Colton said, our faults as sons are because of our father. Um, and they're like, Daddy, I said, like, what would what, make you happy? Then and they're like, Tag titles, and they storm out.
2: It uh, did a great load of nothing for me. This I continue to feel like the acclaimed are nowhere near as hot as they were mm. as a result of this program. And um, look, I'm besotted with the best version of the acclaimed. I think their ability to do the incredibly amusing, fun stuff and hit emotional peaks as an act. How can you do both at the same time? I find it incredible. I just don't think wrestling is a medium to tackle this story, and I think this story is just a bit stupid. It's like it was already like a really funny, almost absurdly funny gag that an actual father prefers the kids who remind him of his (laughs) old tag team than his shoot children. And the fact that the more you approach that as a story beat rather than just... Leave it to exist as something that's quite funny. It just doesn't work at all. It's it goes from absurdly funny to just farcical.
3: I like this, but I'd still maintain it was possibly the wrong week for it. There was yes. le- there was levity to be found in the stuff in front of the live crowd that wasn't necessary here. And but I liked it. I honestly, like the guns aren't gonna beat the acclaimed. Um, but what you've done here. In them obviously having the win over FTR and now having, uh, like, I really like the bouncing it back on Billy Gunn. Like, yes, we're absolute twats. It's your fault. (laughs) Like, I like that. Like, because otherwise they are these just preposterous villains, these cartoons that need taken down by your heroes, the acclaimed. And I quite like that they added a little bit of heft to this match that is going to be a one and done acclaimed retain the belts and let's get to a real. This isn't going to revolution. Better not. I hope is it like like I'm wrong if this goes to revolution cancel all of this because I, I don't think it is I think it's a TV win for the acclaimed ahead of a tag team match with something a bit more serious for the for the pay per view so I think this is quite an effective way to just add a bit of uh, heat to the guns ahead of their defeat you knock them immediately they're the guns you knock them immediately back down to that level as not enhancement talent but like fun heels for other baby faces to Jungle beat Jungle Hook beat yeah. him Jungle Hook can beat them yeah perfect. Like and I just thought this was a nice angle just to give this tag this tag feud a little bit of juice when there was none left because they've already had the feud and as well there was a danger this was yet again another test of how popular the acclaimed are because you could hear the fans piped in reactions and this the danger of this was that by the end you're kind of with the guns a bit like they're so vindicated in their actions and the acclaimed like. Yes, like partridge shrugging, all of these things that they've done to these kids that were left alone at home because their dad was on the road all the time, and yet you still love them because everybody loves the acclaimed. I think that's good. Sage, I want to put something to you from this segment. Right? There was a set spot spot that Hamlet
1: did here. Right? This is going to annoy me that I didn't no, get it. No, he's going to no, annoy you. Didn't spot it? It's oh, almost, why, am I,
3: why am I listening to this? But then? It's going to also make you pop and say, "Oh my god." The, uh, it was campy, this. The therapist was basically a WWE host saying, joining me at this time are my guests, the acclaimed and the gun club. <laughs> it's like, well, there's a wrestling company's camera here and you're playing host. You're perfect for this. So some would argue that she maybe wasn't fit for purpose. I would disagree. And I would say that there was a um, a, choi- a prop choice, a mo- something I spotted in the scene that told me beyond any shadow of a doubt Hell of a that this person was absolutely perfect for their job, a marker of quality beyond anything else I could see in the working world. And I'm going to put it to you, the most articulate person I know. Oh, thank you. On this podcast to look at this photo and identify that and articulate that for our listeners because this is physical. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Yeah, put that down before you have a look. No, isn't anything there? <coughs> Zooming in heads. <here. laughs> Tell me, Sidric, what is the marker of that woman's yes. immense <laughs> professionalism <laughs> and skill? Share it with our listeners. She's got
2: the same pen. Yeah! She's got the same pen as me. <laughs> That's amazing, that. no right, how much did it would cost her? A dollar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Get I it from BA. Have seen
3: anyone else with that pen?
2: Yeah. I love it. Off oh, a Jarrah. It's, uh, <laughs> I did see
3: 300 in the works at Dalton Park, <laughs> seeing at the weekend. I yeah, sent you yeah. the picture. Off oh, oh, a yeah. Jarrah and BM I feel like I can open a treasure chest.
1: <laughs> can we. Can we Get him to like personalise them and sell them, is Oh, maybe. I think I'll buy a load of them and just flog and flog. <laughs> You're wearing just when I shove a, a big NXT load or the Great American Bash thing. Buy a load of them and just get Sidgwick to personalise them. Brilliant. It's like your pen, actually. Got your pen.
3: Got yes. <laughs> Upselling Poundland pens. <laughs> yeah.
1: Coming soon to whatculture.com. Dellboy Del like Rodney job.
3: Grandad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, right, Renee Paquette is backstage <laughs> with the uh, man who knocked out her, uh, her husband. Uh, she's asking him about his vague response last week to about what's uh, to about. You've got me doing it now about what's next. Start it. Uh, <laughs> and Paige says, well, as, as much as I want to look forward, I can't help but look back to Ohio. Me and Mox are one all in our series. Uh, we're in Dayton, Ohio next week,
3: and I want to knock out your husband again." I uh, Can we talk about this before the interruption? Because the interruption sucked ass. I loved this before the interruption sucked ass. Um, the two reasons why the interruption sucked ass. Because the interruptions have always sucked ass and we need to get rid of them. And also, like Wheelie, it was a bang game to defend John Moxley, what was there. Mm-hmm. And couldn't give a toss about Brian Anderson yeah, in the building. Yeah. Huge butthole there. Um, I loved this direction. Hangman Page. Like, I'm, I'm back on the Hangman Page horse, right? That <laughs> character, we... Dove into the soul of that character during the elite saga, right? That was when you were probably for one of the first times in wrestling asked to sort of explore the nuances of the human psyche through this, through this character, the anxious millennial cowboy, right? That millennial cowboy is still anxious, and he watches the show. <laughs> and he watched last week, and he gave away too much, and he knows he gave away too much. And you saw this cocksure, phony arrogance this week, like, you knocked me out in Ohio, I'm going to knock you out in Ohio. And I'm talking about your husband. That's not Hangman Page. Yeah. This was a mask. Yeah. This was him, like, feigning confidence and assuredness because he's watched. He remembers last week's chat. He's like, oh, renee has got me again. I'm going to reveal too much. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. The, the elite thing is on the horizon. Something even better is on the horizon, beyond the horizon. Maybe, who knows. But, like, you're allowed to think about all that sort of stuff, and now he is too. So, all of a sudden, his nerves have got to him again. And I think he might lose to John Moxley. And I think it's, I just thought this was superb character development, if you care. And they know when it comes to Hangman Page, people care. And then Wheeler Utah showed up and it was like, see you Friday for Rampage. We're still booking TV shows out of our ass. (laughs) He's
2: just everywhere, isn't he? (laughs) The the ubiquitous Wheeler Uta. He's everywhere and nowhere, baby. (laughs) Yes. uh, (laughs) We can talk about that though, imminently. Um, There might be a reason for that. But maybe it's just wonky storytelling. We shall see. I mm-hmm. oh, comes across as, uh... The mo- he's always issuing out the challenges, isn't he? I don't like
3: your actions. <laughs> one of them's to do, at least in this way... You just made me think about when he calls out Andrei. <laughs> I don't like your action, Andrei. <laughs> Waits for the puff. Nothing comes like the MJF one.
2: So, at least when he's doing it to Moxley, to Hangman Page. It's kind of like vengeance for his mate for knocking him out. I don't like your actions, Swerve Strickland. <laughs> Now, oh my God, he just kicked my ass. (laughs) He does it like he's always mouthy, as you, this babyface character. And it's meant to scan as upstanding guy, doesn't like what the heels are doing. God damn it. I'm going to front up to you. Then he gets his ass kicked all the time. He's, uh, look, they're trying the Masawa 1990, 1991 push with him. Ain't working that well at the moment. Mm.
1: Yeah, he said. uh, Moxie accepts and uh, I'll have you on Rampage like you say Paige just says what do you think what makes you think that what happened to Moxie won't happen to you
3: again yeah. yeah also as well like this is a wrestling thing you can let this sort of stuff go I just think it's funny to bring up like medical clearance and wrestling is great isn't it like there's Doc Samson uh, oh, sorry Brian it's uh, it's not happening for you I say what goes and I'm wrestling next week uh, Dr. Doctor Gar- uh, Wheeler Yuta comes out and he's like uh, he's not cleared right now but he'll be good to go for next Wednesday huh? Like, what, the, what hospital do all these different wrestlers go to to get these different...
2: He's, this is actually, I know you are making a facetious point, but it's actually a pretty serious one in that Hangman Page spent two months trying to fight Moxley, and they said, no, under no circumstances yeah. can you do that. You have not been medically cleared. Danielson just goes, okay. Screams in Doc Samson's face. Weird that those two things have happened almost concurrently.
1: Yeah, what caused it was the match with Brian Cage that came next. Brian Danielson versus Brian Cage, of course. uh, Brian Danielson has to keep winning to face MJF. Brian Page has been paid to break Brian Danielson's arm. Um, And uh, he didn't do that, but he did chuck him around Um, here. It was the, the, the way you thought it would play out. Danielson's quick, agile, insanely talented, of course. So he... You know, initially gets on top, drop, kicks Brian Cage through the ropes, tope, top rope crossbody. But uh, then Cage catches Danielson with a gorilla press and just hoys him into that corner. Still terrifying. Even the, despite the fact he's back in this he's been back in the ring for many years, I'm always like, be gentle with him, okay? Cause I c I can't we can't lose him again. Um Cage hits a release German suplex, uh, chucks him on the edge of the apron. Goes for a bear hug, but Danielson escapes. Goes for his corner moonsault, but Cage catches him into a shoulder breaker uh, and does his thing, his suplex from the ring apron into the ring, and uh, then a German suplex from the outside in uh, for a two count. I think that's when we went to an ad break. Um, Regardless, Danielson's hung up in the corner. Cage goes for that avalanche avalanche powerbomb, uh, but Danielson fights free. Charging dropkick, superplex, goes for the triangle choke, but Cage powers out. Danielson counters into an ankle lock and a leg trap German suplex. Um, Cage hits a buckle bomb, powerbomb, and then goes, buckle bomb, comma, power bomb, then goes for another one, but Danielson gets a roll-up out of nowhere for the flash victory. Post-match, Cage, obviously, because he wasn't defeated by being KO'd, he was just fluke pinned, immediately jumps all over Brian Danielson, hits Weapon X, MJF walks down to the ring, shoves a ring attendant down, grabs the chair he's been sitting on, Cage puts Danielson's arm through it, posts it, commentary talks about the bounty, as I said, that, that Cage will be trying to collect here. MJF beats Danielson down, um, and he's about to pilmanize his arm when who should run down to make the save, but Kinosuke to Takeshita, MJF bails, um, Cage gets laid out with a running knee, And Tekestra and Doc Sampson check on Brian Danielson. Do you want to talk about that? And then we'll talk about the backstage bit.
2: Yes. This has taken a complete 180 because I think in the prior weeks, because we got Danielson Tekestra, because we got Danielson Bandido, and then the storyline advancement was very gentle after the fact. The idea was, oh, the matches are great, but the story's taken a while to get there. I thought the story took a phenomenal turn this week, but the match was nothing really special or remarkable in any way. This sounds like a complete oxymoron that is because it is. I would describe this match as a methodical spot first <laughs> in which the key moments of sheer brutality where Danielson looked much smaller and helpless were great but the sort of connective tissue to arrive at those moments was pretty plodding and not really exciting and nor did it have this you pace a match like this for like the long drawn out suspense. It didn't really have the suspense. I didn't really feel like Danielson was any particular danger when he was slowly being toyed with. There wasn't this lurking menace. I don't think Cage has got that aura, even though look at the size of him, he should. But the actual moments, like when he gorilla press slammed him upside down into the ropes, was mm. like, be careful sort of thing. Mm. That was that felt dangerous. That was effective. But the journey to get to the big spots didn't really... Um, land for me. I just thought it was a little bit plodding and when you do that particular finish it's meant to feel like oh he's escaped it just didn't feel like he was escaping this big monstrous threat because he by nature by definition Brian Cage only feels like this big monstrous threat in these thrilling gifable glimpses sorry for the alliteration
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I would say a bit like when you mentioned the Derby and Buddy match the he. Wasn't always there, which you kind of think is just a, this show thing rather than an individual feud thing, because I put this in the ups and downs, I completely agree, the weakest week for the in-ring was the strongest for the story, and I'll take that trade, Mm -hmm. I will absolutely take that trade, because for me that shows that AEW got the ducks in a row, when you're not getting one, you're getting the other, and the end result is all of it, you know, like all of it combined. Um, I liked the bits where Brian Cage was monster in Dinosaur, because how could you not, (coughs) and I agree with Sidgwick on the finish because I th- I would have loved it to have felt more like Cage was outwitted rather than it veering a little too close to banana skin for my liking but I saw the saw the point in that, this is not Vincent McMahon's wrestling show, the big guy doesn't have to beat the little guy regardless of the little guy's technical skill um, a roll up is a wrestling hold etc, it's just it, yeah, I would put some of the way this match didn't feel like it was flowing down to the heat, I think if you've got the fans that are just 1000% engaged in the product, they're at various points, frightened for Brian's life. Mm. And you weren't really getting that in those in-between bits. You were just waiting for the next monster in, followed by the comeback, followed by the monster. In.
1: So Rene Paquette's backstage with Brian Danielson and the Doctor, of course. Uh, there's been a dislocation. Danielson just doesn't care, though. He says, look, I've done that. I wrestled an hour before with the dislocation, so I don't care. I'm here to expose MJF for the fraud that he is. The Doctor's never going to stop me from wrestling ever again. I'm going to become AEW World Champion. The fire
2: that we knew needed to happen and said was going to happen, happened. Great. Very convincing as well. Um, Head injury is different to a dislocation. There's a sort of fluid rule system about what a medical officer, doctor, whatever, will allow and won't. Like a head injury, under no circumstances can you wrestle with that. You can tape up a ribbon wrestling. Maybe I was being a bit uh, too exacting in my criticisms.
3: I adored this angle advancement. I absolutely loved the it. Cut, it gets better later as well. Asked and answered from what we were talking about. It was always about. happening. Yeah, like what we were talking about the previous yesterday. I think I said it at the time. I have absolute faith in it. I would just like to see it and feel yes. it. I got it here. The idea that everything we said yesterday, I feel, was made true here. Brian Danielson's prize is not the AEW title. It's what he's doing right now. He, yes. he loves, he bloody loves a good wrestle, and he's having a bloody good wrestle every single week. And MJF has the temerity to try and take his top prize away from him by stopping him wrestling. So I'll take your top prize off you to stop you doing that. Bang. I mean, yeah. like, there—there there is the motivation for Brian to take that title. He's not aspirational for big, gaudy gold belts, but he is for what MJF's trying to do to yeah, him. Yeah, this there thing. Is.
2: I knew it was going to click. I thought people were being very, very impatient about this whole storyline we are still weeks and weeks away from revolution but by design it's not all the way there yet you're meant to feel most anticipated Mm -hmm. for the match when you're going to order it in the week of that's how these things work
3: lovely meals that's taken two hours and i'm like yeah but uh, pizza takes ten minutes you pre the oven for five (laughs) <laughs> That's why you like WWE. Yeah. And I like <laughs> the frozen
2: pizza versus Berth bourguignon. Yeah. Um,
1: let's talk about the MJF stuff in yes, this whole this thing as great. well. I may as well because he's, uh, he's in this dimly lit room and he runs down to Keshta and says, look, hey, you're a talented kid, but stay the fuck out of my way, basically. Um, he said, look, I'm sure that despite the injury, Danielson's going to keep marching to revolution like the hero uh, that the fans think he is. But not MJF, you see, because the triple B gets him out of bed in the morning. Um, and that makes his catchphrase true, basically. Um, he asks if Danielson has had a hole in his soul. and Is he trying to fill it with this title? He says, look, physical pain's fleeting. Mental pain will leave a scar. And next week, on Dynamite, Danielson's going to face a man who enjoys pain, Timothy Thatcher. Uh, and thankfully this shows some footage from him in pro wrestling now because I've never heard of this person before in my life. Uh, and I was confused by it all up until that moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this this Tim Thatcher guy uh, seems uh, quite the opponent for Brian Danielson and not exactly who you'd want to face whilst you're carrying an injury, siege.
2: This is incredible. Right. Again, I'm probably scanned as a hypocrite because people have listened to my NXT <coughs> podcasts in which I was kind of just... He's not a TV guy.
3: We enjoyed The Miserable Old Bastards, remember? We, we
2: enjoyed The Miserable Old Bastards a little bit. Right. I enjoyed Timothy Thatcher immensely once. Fight Pit. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I think that I will enjoy Timothy Thatcher immensely once in AEW. He's the perfect guy. I'm not being asked to receive him in this promotion, in this storyline, as a super exciting TV star. He is the killer. He's the train killer. He's the submission expert who can finish the job. I was talking yesterday on the pre... This is just so inspired. There's enough nerds that are going to love this, and I think that they will cater to the mass audience because it's the simplest story in all of wrestling. Babyface is going to heroically fight through injury, Mm. and there are, for all his faults, as an all-rounder... Timothy Thatcher is incredible, absolutely unbelievable at making it look like he's going to hurt someone. So for a week in this storyline, I will s- snap your hand off as quick as he'll snap your arm. <laughs> it's so inspired. The very small vignette you got of him, if you don't know who Thatcher is, and you probably don't because no one watched NXT <laughs> in that time period, um, just look like I'm this. sorry about that, Timmy. He looks like he's had about, 1,000 fights in his life <laughs> in the state of his face.
1: Horrible-looking bastard, isn't he? Yeah.
2: We were talking. So this storyline's taking the perfect turn. It's not just all babyface, fair. You're going to f- worry about Danielson's career and his likelihood of making revolution. MGF's getting more serious. All of these things we said were going to happen are now happening, but the way we couldn't have predicted because this is a genuinely inspired bit of booking. And one more thing... Um, I questioned Brian Cage being the guy to fulfill this rule of this chapter of this story because power guy, spot fest guy, massive guy, I don't take him seriously, as breaking someone's arm. He used a chair after kind of failing to use a submission. The twist of not only is Thatcher capable of breaking a healthy man's bones, you've got Timothy Thatcher of all people to finish the job that's already been started. That match is going to be drama out the ass. Yeah. And there's still more to come afterwards. This is such a great twist. I want Daniels. I knew one was coming, I didn't think it was going to be quite as good as this.
3: Danielson coming out with like the bandaged arm and Thatcher going for it. And then taking the bandage off and going for it, and it's only with the, his teeth, with the, with with which little teeth he has left. Yeah, <laughs> and it's only theatrical. <laughs> a bandage like the, yeah. in the context for a wrestling yeah. that's great. It's, oh no, not the exposed arm. That's even worse. Like it's great stuff, man.
1: Do you think there's something in the lack of BCC making a save for Brian Daniels? Yes, I'm glad a, cons- I realised we haven't talked about that. It felt, felt very conspicuous. Yes, I'm glad
2: you're reminding me of that um, because Claudio could conceivably have not been there. Yeah, John Moxley, we know. Isn't there, because he's not yet clear, but he will be next week. I think that was mm-hmm. the implication, okay? I don't know if this is just sl- uh, slipshod booking, a bit sloppy. Sloppy jalopy, son of a bitch. <laughs> but, really, Utah doesn't like Danielson that much. He thought that, oh, well, dickhead, you've picked that uh, You thought Garcia was better than me. We sat down and had yeah, a... Regal thought Garcia was the absolute best. Yes, and Uta, and Danielson was, saying, I think, Daniel Garcia is the best young technical wrestler in the world. With Wheeler Utah sat next to him in a sit-down interview yeah. with Renee Paquette, and Utah was like, "Well, I'm miffed now." Danielson was the guy who still defended and loved William Regal when Wheeler Utah and the other ones, after the Moxley betrayal, uh-huh. just called him a snake. And Danielson was the one who was like, "No, no, no! Please don't fight him. I know he's been a dick to the BCC, but he's." Like father to me, and he's got a bleed on his brain and all the rest of it. So there is, in fact, a pretty damn good justification for why Utah did not run out to defend Danielson, and the other two BCC members were simply not present, or could be explained as not being present in that building. Um, actually, was it's one of those things. Even if Claudio was, um, I might don't be, know if he was. Might have been on the ramp, but like, who so cares? Adam Cole, that's not. Yeah, common, that's is not canon. You know? That's yeah. not canon yeah. at all. Um, so yes, I think that it was nowhere near as much of a plot hole as people are making out. Good that I hadn't thought about that. I, I would like forgot about the divide that they were teasing out. But anyway. I thought they just dropped it. Yeah, maybe they haven't. Even if they haven't, it makes sense. And like Moxley and you, uh, especially they're like the they're two. bonded by the blood, are not they? So yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So I do think it makes sense. I don't think I'm reaching either. Mm-hmm. No, I think. But I I'd like, like them to revisit this and do something proper with the BCC once the Danielson and. Um, Mgf stuff is finished with.
1: Uh, In amongst all this, I should say, we had a Ruby Soho versus Tony Storm match, a couple of inset promos that kind of told you all you needed to know. Um, Tony complains about Ruby Soho helping the, quote, homegrown idiots. Uh, That's not who Tony is. She's a, oh, I'm not sure if if, if, if that's not who Tony or uh, Ruby, I suppose, is. They're misfits. Uh, Soho says she's worked her ass off to get this spot in AEW. Uh, and doesn't look down on the women here, just like Storm does. Uh, hard-hitting match, this. They really enjoy kicking the crap out of each other here. Storm hits Soho with a super kick. Soho fights back with forearm strikes, etc. Um... Soho gets sent to the floor with the sweet cheek music and Storm keeps attacking. I think we go to a break and then we come back and Soho goes for Destination Unknown, misses it. Storm gets a roll up, grabs the tights. So that gets a two count. Um, Soho fires back for with a no future. That gets another really good close near fall. Goes up top, rolls through a on. Um, but then, in genuinely the second best sell by someone called TS in wrestling this week, she feigns an injury oh, to bait there. her opponent in, and uh, Soho falls for it. Storm pulls Soho into the ropes, hits uh, sweet cheek music, and a corner DDT uh, that gets a two count. Suddenly, Britt Baker. I don't his- get it. Tiffany Stratton better. Uh, Brit she Baker, was useless. Well, she did the better, better bait and switch because she, oh uh, she, she got. the... Oh my knee. She she got the. That's what she said on NXT. She oh my knee. She got the, the victory there. Um, Brit Baker's music hits. She walks out. Uh, Tony Storm is distracted by the music. Soho hits destination unknown. One two three. Uh,
3: I'm gonna just do what Cedric did and defend something that got an awful lot of heat for people seeing it as this like mm. real disaster for the show. Uh, And I understand why, by the way. Fingers burnt because uh, the JAS did a lot of sports entertainment stuff when they were supposed to be mocking the sports entertainment stuff and the parody kind of ate itself and it's like, what are we doing here? Like, that immediately felt like it was happening because these are the... I know it's like homegrown and outsiders, but the implication is WWE. First of all, I really like the match. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did because as much as you can embrace the fiction, I thought it was going to be really hard to dislike Tony a heel because of just everything she did last year. But she's so goddamn snug that you can just buy it <laughs> straight away because you kind of buy in Ruby Soho's struggle. First minute of this match is probably the best. You, yeah, and mm. like and like slug first. Ruby Soho. knocker. Ruby Soho's had like such a word with herself while she was out injured. Because so far so good oh, on yeah. this comeback, like feels like a different wrestler. So like long may that continue. So I thought the work was like really strong here, but then uh, nobody's really talking about it because of this finish. Destined to be divisive. Uh, it's a music distraction roll-up. It's this like quintessentially WWE thing when you're in a storyline where there's now outsiders using WWE as a stick to beat these homegrown talent with. Britt Baker's the f- perfect person placed in this, and here's why I think why. Could be proven to be a fool. Last week on the podcast, I said that Britt Baker will watch this play out and use it to benefit when she screws Jamie Hayter out of the title to one of these uh, outsiders. Here was the first play in that like sort of game of chess that Britt Baker is playing. This was the most non-committal commitment to one side that she could have possibly done. An entrance music distraction is not hitting anybody. It's not, I took my licks. Like it's it's a none of that. It's doing the absolute bare minimum to, an in inverted commas, help. Like what if the distraction had distracted Ruby Soho? You know what I mean? Like, right now, this is Brit Baker. And, like, even on commentary, they were like, well, she is homegrown after all. It's like, oh, yeah. So there's, there's where you're being led, right? They're called the frigging Outsiders, and she's dressed half like Scott Hall. And how did the NWO start with a third man? The enemy was within, and it was Hulk Hogan. Britt Baker is... I'm not saying she's going to join the Outsiders. I'm saying she's going to prove to be the enemy within when Jamie Hayter, the out-and-out babyface, defends her title against, let's say, Soraya, and Britt Baker is the one, that's when she pulls the trigger and that's where the turn is. And all along we're led to believe this snarky, self-centered Brit Baker character is like, you know what? Great, or good. I'm with you guys. No, I'm not. I want my bell back. And I'm s- and Jamie Hayter took my spot, and that's where this goes. I, I think. Can't add much more to
2: that. Excellent analysis. I didn't really think about it that deeply. So good for you, Dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'll say is the second that they've sort of said the quiet part loud and started using terms like homegrown and outsiders, it immediately feels less convincing to me, even though it's quite a credible storyline because we've heard reports or read reports that the locker room is divided. And it would be, it genuinely would be in Mm. this case. Tony Storm, the problem, remember then Danielson was talking about how he hates his sports entertainers and he's a real wrestler when we know in reality that he just quite liked it. He quite liked it in WWE. He willingly went there and signed extensions in WWE. He did it
3: when so few could.
2: Yeah, in his Players' Tribune article, he put over Vince. Mm. He said, I loved it. I just wanted to bleed and do something a bit different. But I still loved it. Loved everything, man. Brian Danielson. (laughs) So for his character to then go on and say, I hate that sports entertainment crap. It's like, you you liked it. It's weird that you liked it. I would never have expected
3: it to like it, but you nonetheless liked it. Tony Storm... He builds his little cardboard box shoe house house with a Yes t shirt. He'd probably like sports entertainment, wouldn't he? Yeah. Tony Storm took two cream pies to the
2: face. Actual cream pies, Wilborn. Get your head out of the gutter. Being good today. Sort And walked out. Mm-hmm. She walked out. Yeah. A good iron. She said, She gave no choice. I've, I've left. It's like, no, 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 no. I've left. Okay, you can't. Wow. I was
3: better, more professional back where I used to be. You hated it, and we know you hated it. Counterpoint, Tony Storm, like, cut her teeth in Japan, and Soraya sold out the Tokyo Dome. Ooh. So they're not talking about WWE. Nah, shit man. They're talking so, about their past.
2: Yeah, Tony Storm. Who works better now that Triple H is in charge? Because he did try to look after her. She was a big star of the New mm. Youngs and Evolution and stuff. Maybe I can... Use my uh, head
3: cannon to get into it a bit more. Maybe they can say now what w- kind of everybody said last year. Tony Storm can now verbalise. This division was on its arse, and I swanned in and saved it. I lifted, using my major league experience. Yeah, I lifted it up using my major league experience. patronised me
1: by p- post-posthumously yeah. giving me an interim actual world title. People believe
2: it, so just make it real. Another thing I didn't like before we move on is that Ruby Soho was doing the inset promo and before the match, and she was talking about it, and, you know, we might not be there. that. We, you know, they might not have the experience of, you know, but everyone's got to start bloody somewhere. They started in AEW, it's meant to be the, the best promotion in, like, the world, that like, you sell it as the best. Everyone's got to start somewhere. <laughs>
0: Don't <laughs> like like see the,
3: that. they will make it to WWE eventually. Yeah, I know. There's a chance. Have, I didn't think about that. But yeah. yeah.
1: You okay with uh, Tony Storm losing her first match as a newly fleshed out heel? Uh... She lost
2: her first match as interim women's champion and did
1: all right. Yeah. Uh, Right, main event time, Mark Briscoe versus Jay Lethal um, with uh, Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman on commentary, which was obviously a fantastic touch and uh, helped as well because you had Ian Riccoboni, excellent at his job as he is, talking about Mark's journey through Ring of Honor with his brother, uh, Bobby Cruz doing the introductions, Out comes uh, Jay Lethal first with Sanjay Dutt, and they're not doing, obviously, any of the gimmick stuff. It's just a clearly incredibly emotional time for everyone involved. There's a hug from Sanjay to to Jay as he walks out. And out comes Mark Briscoe on his late brother's birthday, just living the gimmick still, because that's that's him, basically, isn't it? He comes out. I said this earlier. um, The thing that hit me... Arguably the most weirdly out of everything was just him holding both tag titles. Mm. I don't know. It, it was just uh, this was an amazing match, but it's so tinged with sadness. Obviously, uh, I'll run through it, um, but I think I sense you know I know what you're going to say about it and the spots you're particularly going to enjoy. Um, they get into it. It's a weird sort of feeling out process, obviously, for what this match is. Um, and then what really made me smile was the moment when they just got in the corner and were just like, let's have a in chop battle, shall we? Get into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Briscoe hits a, a snap mare into a snap drop kick. They fight on the apron again, another forearm and a chop battle. Lethal uh, takes out his leg, goes for the, and hits the tope. Uh, he keeps Mark Briscoe down. Um like this. Mark Briscoe fires up using his kung fu. It's the best. <laughs> it's so funny. I love,
2: I'm in love with it. I have been for like, you know, most of the Briscoe's career. I don't know how he got himself to do it, but I'm so glad that he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> it's a top rope chop. Uh, hits an enziguri. Briscoe hits a splash in the corner in the iconoclasm. Um, Briscoe got a roll-up off an attempt of a figure four from Jay Lethal. Lethal comes back with a front-face suplex into Lethal Injection, but Mark Briscoe, wily veteran that he is, rolls out to the floor. Uh, So Lethal goes out after him, puts him on the timekeeper's table, goes up top, and you're all going, no, you don't get to do this, sorry, Jay. Um, thankfully, though, Mark Briscoe cuts him off, drop kick through the ropes, blockbuster off the apron, sets him up on the table, and hits the froggy bow off the top rope uh, to, obviously, a, a fantastic, huge reaction. Uh, gets him back inside, lethal kicks out, he keeps going for the J-driller, of course, does Mark Um but keeps, Lethal keeps bridging out of it. Briscoe responds by just nailing him with a lariat. Um, does it a few times, in fact, and finally hits the uh, J-driller and gets the one, two, three. of course. Um, he cuts a promo down the lens to his his family and, and tells his late brother he loves him. Um, and, of course, uh, out comes the entire AW locker room. Um, there's the, the graphic for for Jay Briscoe. Everyone's applauding. Um, he hugs Lethal um, who leaves him, of course, in the ring to just soak it all in. And then Mark walks up the ramp and hugs the likes of uh, Christopher Daniels and, and a whole host of other people uh, at the top there. And the, the moment the, the show closes with obviously everyone in the locker room applauding, Mark standing there with, with both Ring of Honor tag titles and the, the commemorative um, thing on the, the, the uh, for, for Jay Briscoe. And uh, yeah, just like I say, it's weird to say what a lovely moment, an an incredible main event this week, considering all the stuff yeah. that came into it. But I thought this was just amazing.
2: Oh, this is perfect. There's no other word for it than perfect. Um, I was expecting a worthy, the definition of respectable and the most positive definition of it. Like, but it was like a class match. Yeah, it was a class match. That that told this incredibly subtle, realistic story. Like Jay Lethal looked like beside himself with grief. And there was that feeling out process and then a chop doubled as an epiphany Mm. of, oh, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. If we are going to honor the memory of one of those stiffest (laughs) unhinged brawlers, not to say that he didn't have anything crafty about him. He was an um, incredible craftsman as a pro wrestling match layout wizard, genuinely. But the character, the whole vibe of Jay Briscoe was he's going to hit you really hard, he's going to do some demented stuff and he's just a badass so when that shop acted as the epiphany of that's what we need to do here it was just incredible and it got really stiff by the end Like turned him inside out with those lariats the babyface comeback was great but it was just like a beautiful stiff exhibition Like they didn't have to do the heat they just had to do the beautiful silky but also gritty uh, reversals And the counters and the technical wrestling of which ROH sort of didn't pioneer but popularized Mm. stateside. And there was a bit as well when the only time the otherwise just absurdly courageous and professional um, Mark Briscoe looked even vaguely affected by the occasion, he lent his face into Jay Lethal as if to say, slap me, I need to get out of this. And, oh, God, this is just phenomenal. This is a phenomenal... Perfect, dignified, heavily emotional match slash segment, slash whatever, tribute. And I cried pretty much the whole way through it.
3: just so said beautiful a few times there, and that was the word that kept coming to my mind. Um tribute matches are strange. Wrestling's strange wrestling's a strange industry. Uh that it that this would be the way that to all of us makes sense to pay mm. tribute to a person. And yet it's it was a great match. It was a, it was a great wrest. If you were able to strip this entirely of its context, which you cannot, but like, if you were to strip this of its context, it's a great match. Yeah. Um, but you're not supposed to strip it of its context. You're supposed to do both. Like, it's, I was trying to articulate in the article, I'm still trying to do it now. I felt like what they did here was not together um, the escapism of pro wrestling with the reality of the tragedy. And they did that. The froggy bow through the table... Everybody forgets everything. The j driller is a reminder of what's going on here. And that's grief. Like somebody passes in your life and you go about your day doing your busy work or you put things to one side because you have to cause because life goes on until it doesn't. That's the kindness and the cruelty of all it's the only thing that we're all destined to have, right? And that was what this match was in ways big and small. Like in that moment, he's flying through the air with a froggy bow, and this is just like glorious the glamour and grisly violence of pro wrestling distilled and then you hit him with the driller and you're back down to earth with the reality of what this was for and i just thought those two spots as a a great as a fight as this was those two spots kind of like joined all this together for it had to be everything it confronted what it was as much as it tried to give everybody some peace from the tragedy and i don't know how they did it Courageous was the other word, such says, and like that's what Mark Briscoe and Jay Lethal was, and Bobby Cruz and Jay Lethal were like visibly fighting back tears um, ahead of this, and just yeah, it it was how they made it everything when there was such pressure to do so is amazing. Quite mm. frankly, this was this was a great match. This was an incredible match. This was an achievement on on the other terms, and I I just think it will be this wasn't the Brody Lee Celebration of Life wrestling show, which was an entire wrestling show dedicated to utilising the pantomime of the industry for the good of a grieving family. This was something altogether different mm-hmm. because like, the grieving family was in there like, paying his tribute and paying his respect. And I just thought, how they did that? Like, I don't, like I don't, it feels weird to like, let's put over some initials, let's put over a company, let's put over a billionaire. But AEW and Tony Khan are showing you the way to do this. Mm. Like, uh, th- that's not a WWE dig. WWE has sometimes paid some wonderful tributes. But, like, they are showing you the, the new way mm. to do this and do this right. And, like, this this company, this this is an unfortunate thing that happens in the industry, and this company gets it right. And I'm kind of amazed. It's the wrong thing to be putting over. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like it's worth mentioning. Mark Briscoe felt a part of that. You know, he's embracing his colleagues. It's just real, what you're mm. watching. And I just... I don't know. I'm glad that, like, they are getting it right and they're setting the precedent because this is it's people's lives, isn't yeah. it? We now will, it's, it's harsh, we now will feel this and watch it again and whatever and then, let's say a month's time, we'll be back on to talking about the wrestling. Mm. Like, the family have to live with this forever and this is something that will be left with them and you do genuinely believe that this company will... Do right by them, and the wrestlers and the other yeah. people support. You witnessed a support group, and you witnessed all that, and you just get the feeling that like they will be with them through the much harder yards when the attention goes away. Yeah, and i like that. That's that's what you want to think, I guess. Yeah.
1: An amazing tribute to to Jay Briscoe, and once again, if you uh, do want to support the Pew family, uh, Jamie Pew, of course. Uh, the real name of Jay Briscoe. Uh, you can buy the T-shirt, where all the proceeds will, of course, go to that family, or you can still go to gives, givesendgo.com forward slash love uh, and donate whatever you can. I know it's a tough time, and uh, it, but it's uh, such an important thing to support the people that have been left behind by this tragedy. givesendgo.com forward slash love. Rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. Uh, let us know your thoughts on this show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch they You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at
2: M Sidgwick.
1: Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dudley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.